Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. <laughs> Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Hello and welcome back to Ladies Who Punt, the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time. My name is Fiona Blair and here with me is Grace Ramage. Hi Grace. Hello Fee and hello to everybody who is listening. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Ladies Who Punt and it is an exciting time because we have another extra special guest this week and our episode is all about the role of a track work rider in a racing stable. Yeah, it's a really fabulous interview that we've got today with Nora Luby, who is a senior track work rider within the racing industry, and she does such a great job of shedding light on the role track work riders play and, and what it's like to be on board some of these really high-class horses in their work. So looking forward to that one. But first, we have to talk about last Saturday, the Memsey Stakes, Grace. What an upset that was. It was a surprising result for me, but I know that lots of people actually thought that Snap Dancer, the winner of the Memsey Stakes, had a good chance in the race. She was the sole leader, like she was always going to get a really soft lead and um, sort of be out there on her own and really hard to catch, and that's exactly what transpired. She just wasn't one of the ones that I thought would necessarily be fighting out the finish. We did cover some of the races and in particular the quaddy legs of Memsey Stakes Day and Fee, we picked our quaddy and we put our quaddy on and we didn't get it. Shock horror. <laughs> surprise, surprise. This week, looking towards Fee and Stakes Day, we will be previewing the Chautauqua Stakes after our interview with Nora. And the last thing we have to touch on before we get into that interview is our race day meetup for mm-hmm. Moya Stakes Day, 23rd of September. Friday Night Lights at Mooney Valley. It's going to be great. And if you are wanting to come, uh, make sure you RSVP via our socials. And we will be doing our tipping competition again for the $100 Maya voucher. It's a really sort of interesting tipping comp. Grace, do you want to explain it to our listeners? So this is a Ladies Who Punt initiative whereby we all make a selection for the Quaddy Legs, just the one horse that we think has got the best winning chance. And then depending on where that horse finishes in the race, you get allocated that many points. So if the horse finishes seventh, you get seven points. And then by the end of the competition, uh, which we'll generally do the quaddy legs for, the person with the least amount of points is the winner. So if your horse wins the four races, then you're going to have four points and you're going to be awfully hard to beat. So that's the way that the competition works. It's more about just having a go rather than sort of just having your one tip. And if you don't win, you're out per race so it's a lot of fun and we encourage everybody to get involved so yeah that will be on moya stakes night we'll have the hundred dollar maya voucher on hand to hand to the winner and we're really looking forward to that but now let's get stuck into our interview with nora luby 
Welcome, Nora. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. You have been one of the senior track work writers at Lindsay Park based in Euroa uh, for the last six years. So you are the perfect special guest for this episode. Firstly, you've just been overseas. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me. I was delighted to come and join you guys today. So yeah, great to be here. Great to be back. Uh, it was lovely to get home for a little while, but yeah, straight back into work and loving every minute of it. Where is home? And tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into horses and the racing industry. So I grew up in County Sligo, which is on the west coast of Ireland. Uh, didn't come from a very horsey background as such. Um, my grandparents had a little bit of interest in horses, but it was the old style Irish workhorses, so not really thoroughbred orientated. Um, my dad had had an interest as well, but that was before we had ever been born. Um, but I just instantly loved it. It was always something I talked about when I was a child, you know, in the back of a car on road trips. I had to point out every horse that I saw <laughs> in a field and take an opportunity to stop and give one a pat if we could. But yeah, so it was actually at secondary school, uh, we had to do career studies and I researched being a jockey. So it was, there's two courses that I'd looked up. Uh, One was a part-time jockey and kind of a training for veterinary studies as well. Um, But that was a lot of time at school, which I was kind of coming to an end of enjoying at that point. Um, and the second option was the racing academy in Ireland, in Kildare. So I sent an application in and they take around 90 to 100 applicants each year. So I was accepted into that and I joined them, I think it was 2004. I did the 10 month course and I was put on work placement with a trainer called Michael Grassick on the Curra. And shortly after joining him, I went about looking to apply for my apprentice license. So I took out my flat jockey apprentice license with Michael. And that allowed me then to start riding competitively in races. And uh, yep, from there, spent a couple of years in the Curra. I did some time in America, New Orleans at Fairgrounds Racetrack over there, track work riding as well. And moved to England. Uh, just to try and see if I could uh, get some more experience, but also more opportunities. was in England, I think, for about eight years. Um, During that time as well, was very fortunate to be offered some trips overseas to ride competitively overseas. Um, And then, yeah, we kind of got to the point of thinking, do we push on with the UK or do we go somewhere else? And December 2016, we decided to make that trip across. And we joined Lindsay Park and yep, other than having a little bit of travel here and there and worked, saw a few other different yards through that time, we've been at Lindsay Park for the majority of our time in Australia and yeah, we've loved it. We've been very grateful for the opportunities that we've received here and it's a fantastic work environment and we've been blessed to work with some fantastic horses through that time too. Let's start with that, the fantastic horses you've worked with. It doesn't just have to be at Lindsay Park. It can be, you know, I know you've also spent time at Chris Waller's while you've been in Australia and, of course, all your ex- your experience overseas. Who are some of the standouts of the horses that you've worked with in your time? Oh, well, I'll definitely start with the Lindsay Park horses. Um, they've been definitely more so to the forefront uh, recently. Um Personal is going to be one of my favourites, top of the list. Uh, She was just fantastic. She was 
the ultimate thoroughbred in her professional mannerisms. She was just very laid back, but very attentive to her work. She was one of those horses that knew when her slow work was her slow work and her fast work was her fast work. She um, had a fantastic attitude that had allowed her to excel and reach the standards that she did. Uh, Bella Nipatina, also a little pocket rocket. She was just a little ball of speed. She was great fun. Um, Minhaj as well, ultimate professional in her work. And old Harlem, we can't miss out on him. He was brilliant. He was just a character and he made getting up in the morning fun and Spanish whisper as well, going back a little bit. Uh, yeah, she was one that kept me on my toes, but... Uh, <laughs> We loved the fiery dragon. She, she was a good character. She was good fun. Okay, so we're going to start really broad with um, our first question about track work. What does a track work rider's role involve? Like, where do you fit into the, the horse training process? So your main objective, I guess, as a track work rider is your feedback to the trainers. You know, you sit on these horses each day, so you get to learn their traits. You know, you get to feel what their action is, um, their level of their personality, I guess, um, you know, how they deal with their work. So you notice the little changes that might be, you know, let's say if a horse is a little bit under the weather or if you have a horse that's had a big gallop and it's taken a little bit more out of them, so they might be a bit more tired the next day. It's very important that you give that feedback to the trainers. So if they need to alter any of the training systems, they can do that. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown, Nora, of some of the categories of attitudes of racehorses <laughs> that you deal with on a daily basis? So like, you know, just broadly speaking, talk us through some of the different personalities that you work with. Well, I guess personal would be a good example. She was a very laid back mare. Um, you know, nothing phased her. She was quite happy to go out and do her work on her own. You know, if horses came past her, she'd never worried. She was just very focused on what she was doing. Some of them can be a little bit lazy. You know, you have to remind them a little bit that they are there to work. You know, come on, let's get on and wake up a little bit and go and do this. <laughs> uh, you'll have the other side of that extreme then where you have some horses who are just so energetic. They love getting out to do their work. So you just have to try and keep a little bit of a lid on them, just try and keep calm with them and, you know, talk to them, whatever you've got to do, just to bring them down a little bit of a level so that they're not going out there and overexerting themselves every day. You just need to try and wind that personality back a little bit um, and just, yeah, just help them through their work so that they're not all out from the get-go. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a variety of personalities there and it's good to get to know each horse's individual personality because I definitely think as a track work rider you have to be able to adjust how you ride each horse every horse is very different same as people how they deal with situations you know kind of as well how you get up out of bed in the morning they can be fresh one day you know really loving life they can get out another day and just not really be in the mood for it so you have to be able to adjust how you ride and how you handle each of those situations to help that horse through and get the best out of them for their day. So once you've got them settled and relaxed and you're happy with the rhythm and their breathing in a track work gallop 
Are you counting one Mississippi to Mississippi? Tell us your secrets, <laughs> Nora. How do you ride to time? Because it's such an important part, you know. You know, the work that trainers will give you um, is all about the times that you're running sort of each furlong or, or the time they want you to run home. So the seconds is actually such a major aspect, isn't it? It is, definitely. And it was something that it took a while to adjust to because it's a very different uh, style of Europe, uh, from the European uh, training methods. In Europe, you're, you know, you do your track work off a feel of how that horse feels. There isn't really um, set times to run. So coming over here and adjusting to that was uh, a massive change, but we were helped along by senior riders who were here at the time. Um, So a lot of the riders will have a beeper on their helmet. So it's just this little uh, mechanism that attaches onto the side of your helmet. Uh, very similar to what musicians can use as well with setting the time for uh, the beat, I guess, uh, m- monotone. I can't remember yeah, what it's well, called. I can't remember what they're called. Um, so, yeah, it's similar to that. You clip one onto your helmet and that sets your exact seconds, your beep per second. So so you're literally counting the beeps between furlong poles. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's... But it's still like, you know, I could count the beeps and like, and get it I wouldn't know so what wrong. to do if, the, if I was counting the wrong beeps, the wrong amount of beeps. So <laughs> it's a massive skill that obviously takes a lot of time and practice honing and understanding yeah. the rhythm. And I'm sure it changes from horse to horse. Like some horses, you might feel like you're going really slow at 14 seconds. Other horses might feel like you're going really fast. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And it's uh, learning the stride pattern of a horse as well. Like as much as you want to hit your times, you also really want to make sure that your horse is staying well balanced. You really don't want to be start stop in their work. You don't really want to be charging down one furlong and then taking a pull to take back the next. You want to make sure that you're just gradually building up to your time. So then you're setting a consistent pace all the way through from there so yeah it's definitely a a little bit of a learning curve you just mentioned then that it's important to understand you know the stride of your horse and what's normal for that horse can you talk to us about a couple of things related to that Nora the first one being um, why is it important for a horse to be on the right leg so like what does that mean and then the second thing is we often hear trainers post-race say that a horse doesn't necessarily quicken they lengthen their stride what the difference between those two are as well directions of the track you know depending on where you are uh, Melbourne way or Sydney way we call it so Melbourne way is going to be your left-handed track and Sydney way will be your right-handed tracks to say a horse is on the correct lead or the right leg you want that horse to be leading so they want to be extending the inside leg for whichever direction they're going so if we're going uh, Melbourne way left-handed We want the horse to be reaching forward with that left foreleg to start with. Um, And that's keeping them balanced. It means as they're going around a bend, that's the favorite leg. So that's what they can balance up on. Um, With the expression of lengthening rather than quickening, again, it depends on the horse and their stride pattern. You know, you will have some horses that'll get to a point you ask them the question, and you can feel the power of the legs going faster and that's how they do their work. Some of the others, rather than that burst of speed, they're gradually lengthening their stride so they're stretching out further 
They haven't got a sudden burst of speed, so it takes them a little bit longer to build up that momentum. So they stretch their stride rather than quickening. So again, it's something you need to be aware of in their work because you do have to adjust your riding to get the best out of them in the finish of a gallop, which then, you know, it's the same when it comes to race day, to be able to pass on that message to the trainer. You know, they'll fully see it through the work anyway, but to be able to say, this is how the horse finishes their work, it can be then relayed to the jockey for race day. So it is important to keep a note of those traits of a horse. And another thing that we hear about Nora often um, is that, you know, a certain jockey or a certain rider might have soft hands. They've got good hands. What does that mean? So that's got to do with the contact that you keep on the reins um, going up to the bit in the horse's mouth. Um, You know, at the end of the day, yes, the bit is there for control, for steering. It's your braking system. Um, So, yeah, you don't want to be overly heavy on that horse because at the end of the day as well, it's their mouth. It's a sensitive part of the horse. So you have to be able to kind of give and take with your hands. So be that, you know, you don't want to be heavy handed and pulling them around. You want to be able to, if they stretch and ask for a little bit more rain, you want to be able to soften your hold to let them do that as well. You don't want to be too heavy on them or too forceful. You want to be able to make sure that they can relax and soften through that bit. And you will find that, you know, certain horses, you know, if, if they start off keen in their work, you will find some of them will kind of stretch their nose and, you know, kind of, you know, can I have a little bit more rain there? Can I just have a bit of a softer hold? And when you give that to a horse, you can feel not just through their mouth and their neck, but you can feel their whole body just kind of go, oh, that's what I wanted. You know, I just wanted that little bit of less contact. So, yeah, you've got to be able to read those situations. You will then find some horses when you soften and give them that little bit of a rein will kind of go, oh, okay, yep, that's me. I'm going to try and go. (laughs) So it's definitely a bit of give and take. Um, but you have to be willing to give a little bit to see that they will soften. I mean, that's what it's all about, trying to keep them relaxed in their work. When you're setting off on a strong gallop, a home gallop, um, as we call it, and track work on a horse like Personal, who won the VRC Oaks and had heaps of ability, what is like going through your mind as you're setting off on a really strong gallop? Are you excited? Are you nervous about how it's going to go? How are you feeling? It's definitely um, a mix of emotions. I mean, I am, when it comes to riding horses, I do kind of wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit. I probably sometimes get a little bit too involved in what they're doing, but I absolutely love the job and I love having the opportunity to ride horses off that caliber. So yeah, it's definitely a huge thrill. Very exciting because you know the power and the ability of that horse. Definitely, I do get a little bit nervous at times, more so because uh, I would hate for anything to go wrong in a situation and you want to look after that horse as best you can. So, yeah, you want to make sure that they get safely through their work. Um, It's definitely a buzz. Yeah. When you know that this horse has this amazing ability and you're setting off, it's such a feeling if you are following a lead horse and you're just waiting for your opportunity to get to those last two furlongs where you can just take the horse off the heels and just get your bit of a run up the hill, especially, you know, the grass 
track here at Lindsay Park is amazing. We've got that uphill climb as you round the final bend. So when you're sat there full of running, you know, the horse has got so much more to offer and you're just creeping up sides your opponents, you know, your workmate, and you're looking across going, I have this, you know. <laughs> Even though it's just a uh, track work gallop at home, it's still such a buzz to just cruise on past and, you know, give a little bit of a smirk as you go by going, yep, I got you here. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an amazing feeling and it's such a brilliant opportunity to get to ride horses off that caliber. And, you know, even to watch it, you know, um, I, I pulled up at the top of the track uh, earlier this week um, and just happened to look down as there was a very important gallop coming up the grass and you know you watch the horse in behind you know from kind of three furlongs out and you can see that horse progressing and you're just so excited to see how they finish off and you're like oh you know this is what it's all about you know the love of the horse and to see that ability that they can offer and see that the horse enjoys it so much as well you know they know their work they know what they're doing and they're just delighted to get that opportunity to quicken and yeah to kind of show off as they go past their (laughs) opponents so we have one listener question this week Nora from Emily she asks how do you know when a horse is going well again that uh, varies you know from horse to horse and what their personality is um I guess I'll, I'll give an example of a horse who you know I've been associated with uh kind of currently uh Mimi's award Mimi is another horse who loves her work. She's quite happy to just casually walk out. Um, nothing really phases her massively. You know, she'll go do her work. She's, you know, quite a professional about it. You can really tell when she's feeling excited and feeling fresh. Um, she has got a certain point on each of the slow tracks where you will be cantering along nice and quietly and out of the blue she will she'll always give you warning that's a good thing (laughs) she'll always let you know she's going to do it but she will put in about two or three jumps through the air and kick up her heels but she's great because she'll always like flick a little ear back like okay you ready are you holding on I'm gonna do it now um and it will be the same spot on pretty much each of the laps that she goes around um and that's that's such a good feeling because you can tell she's excited and she's happy so it makes me laugh like she she'll land you know now and then you're like okay that one was a big one let's just <laughs> stop that but um she, yeah from horse to horse you know some can go out there and it'll just be a little fresh moment it could be a little kick up of the heels or they might suddenly like what I say they start seeing ghosts so whereas they might casually walk out and canter around most days they'll suddenly see shadows in the hedges that they think they've got a spook from or um Again, Harlem, when he was fresh and well, he had a big head roll. He'd throw his head around on the way out to the track. Um, So, yeah, you kind of pick up on little traits where you go, oh, yeah, this horse is feeling good. This horse is happy in itself today. I think people will find it really interesting that the the biggest signifiers that you've sort of pointed out are actually the horse's, uh, you know, emotional and mental well-being. It's not that they're running certain times or or breaking their last record it's just how they're feeling within themselves and how they're behaving like that's the best signifier to you on how they're going 
Well, thank you so much, Nora, for being our special guest on our track work episode. You have really provided us with some excellent insight. Like I think everybody would have learned a lot um, in the way, especially that you were describing certain feelings or, or the way that you go about doing your job. So we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Well, that was just a, such a great interview with Nora. She did such a great job of describing the role of a track work rider and the thrill of being on the back of some of these really nice Group 1 horses. But now it's time to look to Saturday. And, Grace, we are not previewing the feature race today. Why not? So this weekend, uh, we turn our attention to Mooney Valley. That's where the big race meeting is. We've got the running of the Group 2 Fian Stakes, which is our feature race. It's over 1,600 metres, and it's at weight for age level. The reason why we're not previewing this particular race on our episode is that it's actually come up a really small field. And when we take a look at the market, there are six horses that accepted. The favourite is Mr. Brightside, who is... Odds on, he's now a $1.95 favourite and every other horse in the race is having their first run back for the campaign. So in terms of trying to do the form analysis to find the winner of this race, well, firstly, everything except for the favourite is resuming. So the way I see it is we need to see them run to see how they've returned this campaign and then we'll get a guide of what to expect in later starts. And then the favourite is having his second run back and he won the PB Lawrence Stakes last start, but he's just too short to back in my Absolutely. opinion so it's really a just a watch and see wait and see what happens here I think the favorite will be hard to beat but it's not a race that we need to spend much time on okay so instead we've decided to preview the Chautauqua Stakes it's a 1200 meter listed handicap and today we're going to be putting on a first four bet so mm-hmm. Grace can you explain what a first four bet is to us so a first four bet is an exotic bet type and what you're aiming to achieve is to pick the first four horses doesn't have to be in finishing order but it's the first four horses across the line now if you only pick four horses in your first four bet you will get 100% of whatever that dividend is and obviously if you know those four horses have got huge starting prices it's going to pay really well and if they're all sort of the favorites or short in the betting then it won't pay as well but you can have as many horses as you like running for you in your first four bet to finish top four but the more horses that you have the less percentage of that dividend you'll receive back. So um, it's a bit of a give and take sort of a setup. And 
it's common for a lot of people to have first four bets in big competitive handicap races like the Melbourne Cup or the Caulfield Cup where you can sort of pluck some horses at huge prices that you think might be over the odds and can run into third and that's when you get a really juicy payout if your first four land. So that's why I thought that a first four would be good for this race because it is quite a big field. It's 14 horses and it is a handicap for the sprinters. So let's give it a whirl. Okay, so as you said earlier, we are at Mooney Valley. The track is currently rated a soft five. So are we expecting an upgrade before Saturday with the weather, Grace? I don't think so, Fee. I think um, the track manager, Marty Sinan, said that it's likely to be a soft five at best. If not, it might actually be a soft six. There might be a few showers over the next few days, which will hold it in that soft range but for those who don't know the valley particularly well it is a really tight turning circuit like it's a metropolitan track and it's a great place to go watch racing but it is a really small racing circuit so it only has a straight of about 180 meters compared to flemington which is 400 and something so it certainly is always advantageous to be close to the speed at the valley unless you know, they're going too hard up front, in which case it'll be set up for the back markers. Now, Grace, I had a quick look at this race earlier today on Racing Australia, who had accepted and who was in the race. And I was going through and I was like, this just seems like such a hard race to, yeah. <laughs> to do the form. I mean, I'm still very much a beginner at doing form analysis. And I was like, I feel like this is above my... Uh, experience and then I saw the market come out and when they opened corner pocket was the $6.50 favorite and I was like that makes me feel a bit better um, that I'm struggling because yeah no one's really sure who the winner is here exactly when you see that the favorite is $6.50 so it's $6.50 the field it is a wide open race and you know there's probably 10 horses that are considered a winning chance according to the betting but that's what makes it exciting and I love doing races like this because you can try and find an edge in the price somewhere you might find one at a bigger price that you're convinced has been overlooked and you know too much focus has been put on another horse so that's why I thought that this one would be a good one to do especially for for a first four but having said that it's a lot of fun do you get it right often no. <laughs> so let's start with where you always start with your form analysis, Grace, with the speed map. So it's a 1200 meter race. So we'd expect there to be quite a few speedy horses out of the barriers. The horses that I think that are likely to be right on speed here are Rangers from barrier one, Prince of Boom from barrier 14. I expect him to sort of jump fast and then quickly veer across to sit on speed. Asar from barrier six might roll forward and Felicia drawn to his outside barrier eight, she'll likely go forward as well. So they're sort of the main speed horses. A horse like Corner Pocket interests me because he loves to sit on speed, but he's only first up and he's first up at 1200 meters, whereas last preparation he resumed at 1400 meters where he led. So I'm just not convinced that the tactics on corner pocket are going to be from barrier seven to sort of really bang him out of the barriers and put him on speed. They might just be a bit more conservative and and sort of sit off the speed. So all in all, when it comes to the speed map, I think it's going to be a pretty even tempo. And when I say even, I mean, it doesn't really favor anyone in particular. Everyone should get their equal chance. It's not going to set up for the back markers or it's not going to be 
leader advantaged. It should just mean that everyone gets a fair shot. Okay, well, let's take a look at the favourite. When the markets opened, it was number seven, Corner Pocket at $6.50. But just now, it is number eight, Prince of Boom at $5.50. So a little shift there. He's tightened up. Yeah. Uh, What do you think of his chances? Well, it's interesting that early support. So it's always good to see and have a look at when a market opens on a Wednesday afternoon, what betting moves are pretty instant. And we can see that Prince of Boom, they're basically people jumping out of trees to back this horse as soon as the market went up at $7.50. He's now into $5.50. That's a really good early push for Prince of Boom. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that obviously the horse is going really well. And, um, you know, the, the connections or the stable or people that know or in the know of this horse's campaign think that he's got a great winning chance on Saturday. So already we take a lot of confidence out of that for Prince of Boom. I think as well his travelling down from Queensland means that as trainer Rob, Rob Heathcote is quite confident about his chances. It's a big trip to make for a race and he's obviously brought him here for a reason. Yeah, and we've seen actually already over the last couple of weeks quite a few Queensland horses come down and win, like shooting for gold last week. He's trained in Queensland and we saw Uncommon James, a horse, another Queenslander, a few weeks back win the listed Regal Roller Stakes. So these horses are coming down and they are performing to expectation. So we certainly can't overlook Prince of Boom. Um, Interestingly, he wasn't necessarily one that I was first drawn to. He does have a great overall record fee. He's won the five races from nine attempts, which is fantastic. And he does love the 1200 meter distance, but he is one that is sort of up and coming. He raced in three-year-old class last preparation. He won the big rich race on the Gold Coast for the three-year-olds called the three-year-old guineas. And he was a $2.70 favorite there, but that's a restricted race. Like the opposition wasn't what he, anything like what he's going to face here. Well, Fee, I think that given that we've seen the $7.50 into $5.50 market move within the first couple of hours of betting opening, you know, we might be we might be underestimating this horse. He might have taken great improvement from his last campaign. He might be ready to take the next step. So let's have him in our first four to be safe. Sounds good. Now let's move on to the second favorite. It's number seven, Corner Pocket. Corner Pocket is another horse that is first up in this race and another horse with an outstanding overall race record. So this horse has had 12 starts. He's now a six-year-old. He has won eight of them and finished second or third another three times, which means from 12 starts, he's only missed the placings once. Hmm. He is very consistent. He is a good horse. He just always fronts up. My only query with Corner Pocket is that last preparation, so it was in the autumn back in February of this year, he actually resumed. He had his first run for the campaign over 1,400 metres. He won that day. He sat on speed, um, had a light weight and was very good. And then the next side, he went out to 1,600 metres. Now, this preparation, he's kicking off over the 1,200 metres. I'm just thinking in my head, are there maybe horses that are better suited to the 1200 meters than he is like maybe he's one that is a better 1400 meter horse um, and other horses might be a little bit speedier than him but because of his great overall race record and he and the fact that he probably will put himself near near enough to the speed I think from barrier seven he should get a good run he's definitely one we can't leave out he's a good horse he's a class horse we know he's good so we definitely want to have him on side fee what did you think 
Yeah, he, he was a funny one for me. Like, obviously, he's a well-known horse, and as you said, he, he performs pretty consistently. I did go back and watch his last jump out, and I wasn't blown away. But, you know, you never know with these trainers what their tactics are in their jump outs. You know, mm. they might be trying to keep keep his price up by not giving him a good hit out. He certainly wasn't asked for much of an effort, but I wasn't like, oh, yep, this horse is back in, and back in form, and... I'm a bit like you, a bit confused about the 1,200 metres first up. Um, I'm wondering if this is going to be more of a third trial run for him. But, of course, it doesn't mean that he can't hit the line strongly and still run a place as he as he does most runs. So I think he has to go in. Yep, he goes in. He goes in. But, look, I'm not super excited about him. One that stood out to me just doing the, pay, the form from Racing Australia before the markets came out was Rangers, number four, Grace. Let's talk about him. He opened at $10 and is now in at $8.50 just a couple of hours after the markets opened, so he's already had some backing. What are your thoughts on him? Yep, so he's another one that's been well-backed, which is great to see. We love to see that early market push. I really like Rangers on Saturday. I think that he would probably be my top pick in this race and it's for a number of different reasons. So while we can see lots of horses here are resuming, Rangers has basically been racing all through the winter. He's had plenty of starts and over a sprint distance, you know, race fitness isn't necessarily as important as it is over a staying distance, but he's in good form. We know what he's putting up. At the moment, you know, we can expect to see a similar performance to what we've seen from him over the last few months. So he, it makes it easy to sort of know the level that he's going to race to. And if we take a line directly through what happened last start, you know, if he performs to that level again where he finished second in a very similar race, another listed handicap called the Regal Roller. He finished second to Uncommon James that day. If he brings that to the races this Saturday, I think he's the one to beat. What I also like is that in this handicap, he gets in with 56 and a half kilos, which is a certainly a winning weight in a race like this. And I really like barrier one for him because he can sit just behind the speed. That's where he usually likes to map on or behind the speed. He can get a really cruisy run. He likes soft tracks. So he just needs to find a gap. And I think he'll be hard to beat for Yeah, I think if he has any improvement out of his last start, he's certainly got a really good chance. Coming second to Uncommon James, you know, he's a very good horse. So that's good form for him coming into this race. And yeah, I just like the run. I like that he's fit. Like we're still at that part of the spring where there's horses that are up and running and fit versus the ones who are first up. And I'm keen to get behind the ones that have a bit of fitness on their side so he definitely goes into the first four so now we're going to take a look at two horses fee let me describe to you why i think we need to put them both in our first four and they're actually stable mates and they're both coming down from newcastle they're trained by chris lees they're both mares so they would have both been on the truck together coming down and they funnily enough have been best friends forever because they also were in the same last start together so it's a really easy one for us to go back and take a look at how they went there and how we can expect them to go on Saturday. The mares are Wonderbar and also Enchanted Heart. They both came through the Missile Stakes, which is a race up at Randwick in Sydney at Group 2 level. So good class of horse in that race. And in that race, they both got in with a light weight under the set weights and penalties conditions of the race. And they were both a big price. They were $26 and $21 respectively. Now they both line up in this race. And Wanderbar, 
taking a look at the market, is a $9 chance, whereas Enchanted Heart is a $21 chance. I think they both go in the first four, but I just cannot believe that Enchanted Heart is a much bigger price than her stablemate. Because if you go back and watch that replay of those two mares in the missile stakes, Enchanted Heart got a long way further back and her run was huge. Like she made up so much ground. Wanderbar, on the other hand, sort of stuck to the inside, settled midfield, was only narrowly beaten. Enchanted Heart finished a few lengths off her. But if you swap the runs, I think you'd swap the results. And that's the key because this Saturday from Barrier 5, I think Enchanted Heart can settle so much closer. They only sort of snagged her back from the wide barrier. You might think she's a back marker, but they just have been racing her in that pattern due to wide barriers in the past. So Jai McNeil goes on barrier five. I think she's way over the odds. And in fact, I am pretty keen to actually just have a little bet on her one by three. So she's $21 to win $6 the place. Um, and I think she can run really well on Saturday. little side bet there as well mm-hmm. as the first four. It's, it sounds like a good one. You've made a very good case for her. The last horse I wanted to put in our first four bet was number 13, Calypso Rain. He's coming off a group three win at Morfittville three weeks ago over this distance. It was on a heavy track and he has travelled, but I do like that this horse is fit, up and fit. He is one that I would like to see in the mounting yard on the day Mm -hmm. just because I'm a bit concerned about that heavy nine run and then the travel if those two factors have taken a bit too much from him but I think from his form he has to go into our first four thoughts yeah he was a really good winner of that group three race in Adelaide last start and he just keeps winning as well like this campaign he's had four starts and he's won three of them and the other one was a narrow second so he's racing in great form I do think that the competition he probably faces here is still stronger than that group three in Adelaide last start but he's doing a lot right and if we are on you know the worst side of a soft track we know that he'll thrive in those conditions he carried 58 and a half kilos last start and he now drops down to 54 kilos mm. in this handicap so there's definitely a lot to like about calypso rain um the only negative might be barrier 11 and he's a get back horse yeah. so he might end up a long way back mm. and if and if it's not set up for the swoopers to be able to really get into the race um, over the concluding stages. He might be disadvantaged there. But, you know, he also might be having the opportunity to sort of blend in midfield into the bend and just sort of finish off over the top of them. I can definitely understand why you thought he was a good chance. And I agree, he can go in our first four for sure. So that's six horses for our first four bet in the Chautauqua Stakes. It's number four, Rangers. Number five, Wanderbar. Number seven, Corner Pocket. Number eight, Prince of Boom. Number 12, Enchanted Heart. And number 13, Calypso Rain. Okay, well, that's all we have time for. A pretty long episode today between the interview with Nora Luby and this preview of the Chautauqua Stakes. So thank you for tuning in and staying with us through the whole episode. And hopefully we've been able to help you sift through your own selections for Race 7 on Saturday. Next week, we are back with a preview for Maccabi Diva Stakes Day at Flemington. That's going to be a fabulous day of racing. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. We will catch you next week for a preview of Maccabi Stakes Day. Good luck on Saturday for the Fian Stakes.